This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is No Encore. I'm your host with the most, Craig Fitzpatrick. Or at least, I guess, host with an adequate amount. The required amount. Only God can judge me. It's episode 303 in a collector series. And as with every episode, it's me in the driver's seat. I have always been the host. And Sarah Hederman, music journalist extraordinaire, has always been my co-host. Just another normal week, Sarah. Welcome on board. Hello, how are you? How are Uh, things? Good, good. Nice to be um, the co-hostess with the most s yeah as per usual you know forget people throwing around the term super sub which like Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer you've a permanent position at the top and regardless of your performance on this episode nothing will change and um, yeah long-suffering United fan um the Irish match is also on so we'll keep this Mm. brief this episode will be done in 10 minutes and then we'll get on with the football (laughs) I joke it will be two hours long we should be done though before quarter to eight we'll see music is more important than football is that a hot take? Uh, no, in Ireland they're playing, no. <laughs> Absolutely not, Craig. Priorities, this is a music podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Of course, yes. this is a music podcast that usually features our dear David as host and he's on a much-deserved week off. Um, we've got Adam Shanahan, Sonic Architect, um, just overseeing things as he usually does and keeping us calm, keeping us collected. It's a big week, Sarah. It is. Um, I enjoyed your last episode, Halloween Scores oh, with you. Dave. It had me listening to the very pleasant, relaxing soundtrack to Cannibal Holocaust for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> it is surprisingly relaxing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it really it's is. a gorgeous soundtrack. Uh, were you sufficiently spooked? I was spooked in parts. I was mostly spooked by the fact that Dave revealed that he hadn't seen The Exorcist the whole way through, which is like, I kind of understand it. There's some massive films 
that now I think of it, I'm like, yeah, I probably haven't sat down and properly watched that. But mm. just Dave being such a film buff, you think The yeah. Exorcist, right? It's a big one. Yeah. He's like Captain Letterbox, so <laughs> I would have assumed that he would have at least seen The Exorcist, which is just covering the basics, I would have thought. I know. Sort that out, Dave. Um, but yeah, this week on the show, as I say, it's a big one. It's episode 303. It's episode number one. <laughs> <laughs> Been waiting a week to use that. <laughs> <laughs> Adam has his head in his hands. Um, we're reviewing it. Voyage. It's the first ABBA um, studio album in nearly 40 years, 40 years. Um, Zara, you've already been talking about it. I've sta- steered clear of your arena performance. Um, I listened post episode because I just wanted to come in fresh. But um, yeah, much to dissect, I would imagine, having listened to it all week. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get on to it. Our top five is related thematically as it usually is. It's an interesting one. It's top five songs from couples, um, romantically involved musicians that got together and made sweet, sweet music. And that should be an interesting one. Um, Zara, you had your top five done pretty sharpish over to Adam on Monday. It was yes. a slight change at the death. But um, how did you get on with the selection process? Um, really good. I found it um, pretty easy, pretty fun to do as well. I wanted to steer clear of maybe some obvious choices. Um, yeah. I do I do have some obvious ones in there, Um But yeah, it was really interesting to research and think about and also just to consider like, imagine being in a band with someone that you're also going out with. I I think that would actually melt my brain, especially when you have to go on tour with them um, in the small confines of a tour bus. You really get to know someone. Yeah, yeah. So... I'm glad that I'm not in that situation. Um, what about you? How did you find it, Craig? Because I think you were sending your audio over last minute last night, weren't you? I had a change. I had a kind of a, a, a kind of a big pool of songs that I was pretty happy with. So it was just narrowing it down. But I had my top five, and then I was doing some research because I'm a professional. Mm-hmm. And one of the couples I'd picked, I was like, "This seems a bit problematic." I didn't realize this. I thought this was one of my sweeter, more wholesome entries. <laughs> We'll talk about it in a bit, but it it had to go. (laughs) But yeah, I kind of led with songs I love first and then did the research. And I think it worked out in the end. Maybe Mm. people will get on after showing me like, you know about that couple, right? Hopefully not, but Mm. we we shall see. Anything else to add, Zara? How have you, you're back like gigging and stuff, right? You're at Black Black Midi this week. Yeah, I was at Black Midi on Tuesday, which was absolute carnage. Um, Really? yeah luckily I was sitting upstairs with my friends and uh watching the mosh pits and crowd surfing that was like unfolding for the entire set um which was fun to watch and funny but like very stressful as well at the same time just more so from like the vantage point of people either hurting themselves or losing their wallet or phone out of their back pocket or their house keys um but it was really you went good. very mom there at yeah. the end it's just like, oh, you might lose your house keys yeah. it's true um Big but no, it was it was a really good gig um a bit of a different set list to what I expected, but they're just, they're class musicians, seem like very nice guys who like to have fun. So yeah. Have you ventured at all to the... No. No? No. I've done... <laughs> I've, I've been to nothing. I have my tickets for Primavera next year and I have tickets to, I think a few shows saga. next year. 
Yeah, yeah, which will finally be concluded when I go to, go to it, I think. But I, yeah, I think for a while, and people that listen to the show will know me and Dave have had this thing of just like, are we ready to go back to gigs? Certainly not festivals. Mm. I think being away uh, a couple of weeks ago and just starting to mingle with people a bit more, I'm kind of now back immersed in it. So I'm like, yeah, actually just seeing people like yourself and just other people on Twitter be like, back at a live show. And it, mm. yeah, kind of getting that FOMO a bit, so... But there's been so many great gigs announced and I've been missing all the Friday sale days where I'm just like, I'm, I'm out of the habit of getting the tickets. So I don't know. I need to sort my act out. Do. Just sort in general. Out, Greg. Yeah, sort yourself out. Okay. While I sort myself out, let's move on with the show. Um, if you want to contribute to the show and sort of say what the price of a pint or just kind of, you know, keep the show on the road, you can do so, by the way. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash no encore. Um, and people that are already giving, we love you. We adore you. Um, we wouldn't be here without you. So much appreciated. That's patreon.com forward slash no encore. And with that, let it roll with the news. You heard about the good news? Yeah, I guess speaking about a return to gigging and um, live action, of course, we couldn't um, neglect this story that's kind of still ongoing. Um, Astroworld, the Travis Scott Festival in Houston um, and an absolute tragedy. It's I think the latest story we have in the running order, Zara, is, um, you know, we could get mired in the latest kind of lawsuit chat around it. I've actually just dug up uh, a New York Times piece, though, just trying to get a get to grips with what's really unfolded and um, there's a few points I guess that we can make and then we can get into it but it's yeah I mean we started well I certainly started seeing footage from it um, some of which I w- wish I hadn't last Saturday and we know at this point that at least eight people were killed dozens more injured uh, at the gig in Houston large crowd began pushing towards the front of the stage during a performance from Travis Scott um, this was during the two-day f- event 50,000 people were assembled there on Friday night um, this is when it all kind of went down um, and yeah it's just without a doubt at this stage one of the kind of deadliest crowd control disasters in the US in a long long time I was instantly reminded of Ross Gilda uh, I think in 2000s Pearl Jam a lot of people lost their lives and you think of just harrowing accounts coming out you're like I was thinking of Hillsborough disasters and it's on that scale of just mm. you know combined with people going somewhere to have a carefree time and see someone they really love and kind of switch off from the horrors of everyday life and then something like this happens I guess how did you hear about it Sarah and were you did you get sucked into that kind of Twitter feed of like not wanting to look at stuff that was coming up but kind of also wanting to see the accounts and mm. what people were going through it was a tough one yeah, I started to hear about it, I guess, on Saturday. Um, mm. One of our friends just put it into one of our WhatsApp groups and was just saying, this is absolutely harrowing. Um, and then the more I was reading about it, I follow, I don't know if you follow her, Tracy Morrissey, I think on Instagram. She's a journalist. She does a lot of uh, Jamila Jamil uh, uncoverings of like, at times she's lied. Um, oh, well, which, okay. Yeah. Instant follow. Um, yeah, exactly. But she goes really, really in depth on pre- pretty big stories that happen. And she went in depth on the um, Astro World tragedy. And it's just, yeah, I was like you. I was kind of, um, 
un wanting to look at like some of the things because the first thing I saw was really uh, dark and terrifying and the more I read the more scary it got especially when you see the ages of the people who have died um, between yeah. 14 to 27 so on the younger scale you can imagine that that was maybe even their first ever gig or live music yeah. experience which is devastating to think about and then actually this morning I was listening to um, NPR have a podcast called 1A and they had a woman who was actually an attendee of the festival and she's also a certified nurse and just her account of it was so scary because obviously as well she has just come out of this experience only a couple of days and she was retelling it and talking about how she was like 10 to 15 feet away from the stage and how the chaos began even before the first song started um how you know she was trying to get out of the crowd but obviously because it had that like almost ocean-like effect that there was just no one individual able to like properly get out of the crowd because everyone was like moving together um she was talking about like bodies that she was seeing um, and trying to help people and she herself was only like five foot one so you could imagine as well just how scary that is and just also like it's absolutely baffling Travis Scott's reaction to it all and she was saying that like there was people chanting stop the show um, and then he turned and said who told me to stop the show and then saw a guy who was like in a tree and I think was like encouraging him or like pointed him out. Um, I think what makes this all the darker is how Travis Scott has had previous um, examples of this where he's been arrested for inciting chaos at his shows. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, it doesn't re- it doesn't bode well at all for Travis Scott and for his legacy as well. Um, he hasn't reached out to any of the family's victims that I have um, heard of. Um, he has said that he's going to cover funeral costs. But as you were saying there, Craig, with the Pearl Jam incident, um, when people died at that or, and were injured, they were like straight in to talk to the people, straight in. Mm involved um, and they actually kept contact with the families for the last like 20 years um, so at least they showed some kind of instant remorse and regret but I don't know what did you make of Travis Scott's reaction to it? It's a really tough one isn't it because mm. on the one hand you're seeing this footage and yeah one of the first clips I saw was of him kind of continuing to perform as someone was being like stretchered out and he could clearly see the ambulance and someone looking kind of lifeless and he's kind of on stage doing the robot or whatever. But then you think, okay, what is actually his vantage point? He's in the middle of a, you know, a monster performance. How aware is he of his surroundings? Um, You spoke there about Pearl Jam and they're one of the acts that have sadly been involved in stuff like this and done a tremendous job at even when on stage trying to get some order to the chaos. And Travis, for whatever reason, was unable or maybe unwilling to do that. I don't know. I don't want to like totally add to the pylon of Travis Scott because he's one guy in this, you know, gigantic machine of Live Nation and organizers and the city of Houston putting it on. And it just seems from top to bottom, it was so poorly organized just from the outside looking in. That's what it seems like. Um, But for sure there is, you know, he spoke there about like his previous incidents, which aren't great whatsoever and also ties into this whole 
rager culture that he's been promoting and it's part of his aesthetic and it's, you know, it's part of, you know, his branding alongside McDonald's, Cactus Jack collabs. Um, it's very kind of, you know, anti-authority, but also big brands involved. It's just a really weird one. But yeah, he's he is an artist to kind of say, hop the fences, just rush the show. That seemed to be going on um, at the moment. They don't know what caused the surge. Um, but as you say, it was happening, you know, by three in the day, people couldn't stand straight um, because of the movement, which just sounds horrendous and there's nothing you can do. Um, could he have done more? Uh, people are trying to kind of cut him some slack and say he stopped multiple times, but then the music continues. And mm. I don't know, I think as an artist, first and foremost, you, you should be worried about your, you know, audience's safety. And the, the quickest way and the, the most effective way, I think, of stopping that energy of people being shoved forward is cut the focus of their energy, right? So stop the music and suddenly no one's kind of clambering to get to the stage and there's that, it's a bit of, of a more sobering thing. So the show should have been stopped far earlier. The authorities themselves decided not to shut down the concert and they're saying you can't just close it down when there's 50,000 people, there might be riots. And I'm like, I don't know, what was going on at that moment in time was as bad as it gets really. And I think stopping everything and getting the word out there would have done a lot. Yeah. But it's, yeah, the Travis Scott thing is interesting because likes of him, Playboy Carty, there is this infusion of, you know, punk aesthetics and, you know, moshing and stuff into some mainstream hip hop in recent years. And it seems to be as much about the aesthetic and the branding and the commercial side of things and the kind of stylized violence of it and kind of rebelliousness of it without, you know, when you think of moshing, there's a culture of, you know, decades of punk and metal audiences also having kind of guidelines in place and a kind of an ethos of like, you know, only people that want to get involved in the moshing should get involved in it. And if someone goes down, you pick them up and no one's there to get hurt. It's about, you know, bouncing off each other's energy. Um, the message here just seemed to be like, go and fuck people up. Um, yeah. And it was as flippant as that. And I'm sure, you know, Travis Scott, probably an okay dude, probably didn't want anything bad to happen, probably didn't think of it. And I guess that's the problem, right? Yeah, exactly. And actually on that NPR episode that I was listening to, they had, I think his name was Steve Allen. He owns um, a security business that specializes in doing security and safety for big, large scale concerts. And he was just saying that like every show that he's worked on of that kind of scale, they have like such a, a strict protocol where it's like if there is any kind of life threatening um things happening at a show the first thing to do is just stop the music put a light on like a white light onto the stage just to indicate to everyone to just like chill out um that wasn't done and he was just very um baffled by like how none of those very like rudimental practices for security and for audience security just wasn't taken um so I don't know it's it's definitely an interesting one it's a very upsetting one and I wonder what the level of the outcome is going to be to this um how future Live Nation kind of shows are going to go ahead and yeah it's yeah it's a really tough one have you ever had like an experience where you've been at a show and felt 
we've all been at busy gigs. We've all been kind of had moments where things are getting a bit chaotic. But have you had that thing of just like, oh, this is actually getting out of hand and I'm not sure I have any control over where I'm at? Because I was thinking, I'm like, bar one or two uncomfortable incidents, I've never had that moment that a lot of the people that were at this show have talked about where they're just like, oh God, like this is, this is really, really bad. I'm in trouble here. Have you had that? I've never had it like personally, like I've never myself felt threatened or my, my safety felt threatened. I do remember, um, you might've even been at this as well. There's that famous, um, oxygen, the MGMT performance in the tent. Have you, do you know about this? Where yeah, the guy, I think it was at that oxygen, but yeah, it wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember being at MGMT in the tent and there was like a guy scaling one of the like rafter things um, and like he just kept climbing it till he got to like near the top and MGMT did stop the show from what I remember and they're like can you please get down and security were like very vigilant to like get this person down that's the only time that I've ever had an instance that was kind of out of the ordinary and threatening to someone's life or like other people's life obviously around them and um, what about you? Yeah I don't really like I was trying to think of certain moments BBK um, a couple of years ago at the strokes it was very tight and trying to get to the front there was a few moments of just like you can't move your arms and you're waiting for people to move back so you can have some autonomy again and luckily that happened and it seemed really well organised and it was you know the atmosphere was good Um, so I haven't really had those threatening moments thankfully I'm not sure what like again US protocols and stuff I don't know about security measures haven't been to festivals over there. I don't know if it's different on European soil. Um, But by and large, we seem to do that kind of thing quite well around here. And I guess long may it continue. But um, yeah, sad and just, you know, Mm. there'll be more to come from that story. Um, But I guess moving on to happier news. (laughs) Um, And it's happened. It's happening. Croker. (laughs) So good. I'm so The G-Man, baby. It's happening. Oh my god! After years of none at all, he's got his five nights. Um, we going, Craig? I don't know. I don't know. Is Dave to going one? to all five? If, <laughs> this is if, the question. Well, I would go to one. Yeah, at this stage, I mean, post pandemic, feck, I'm going to Garth for sure. You Give me the Stetson. I reckon friends, we all go. Friends in low places, isn't it? Is that the song. <laughs> Yeah, that's the yeah. song. <laughs> the that's dance. The, song. Um, the dance is, we've spoken about it before on the podcast, but I think the, the, the dance is an all-timer. Yeah, I would like I would go to all five nights if I knew for sure that Chris Gaines would make a brief appearance at each Oh show. my God, yeah. Could you imagine? Just like a second stage right in the audience where he comes yeah. out and just like goes full emo. <laughs> Do you know what I would love though? And I would go to all five nights if they just had massive screens, a croaker, and they just showed the documentary. Yeah. Um, the Garrett yeah. documentary which is tremendous thank you again for recommending oh. it people if you haven't checked it out it's sensational phenomenal. he is a phenomenal human being um, so The Road I'm On I believe it's called he's so interesting he's so teary just weeping mm. openly as he sits you know backwards on a stool for the entire thing mm. um, talking about Miss Yearwood his partner <laughs> Trish Yearwood as he always refers to her yeah so many moments Sarah 
Yeah. Um, sitting on that hillside with the fire going oh my God, all wrapped up like he's like the sole survivor of a zombie apocalypse oh it's phenomenal it's just I can't get over how emotional that man is and I love it I love him for it um, because he lets his vulnerability out And do I you think only... it's legit or do you think he's that much of a showman that he's just like he knows the country audience this has worked for him for years is he is Super. he kind of like yeah like I, time. I, we've we've spoken about it before. I, he feels like he has that kind of like traveling preacher vibe almost mm-hmm. to him. Like if it was back in the you know eighteen hundreds, he'd be going around with the Bible. Maybe I don't yeah. know. Maybe <laughs> that's unfair. Plain view. Yeah, um, I one hundred percent present think he is a spoofer for sure because even just with that documentary and not to give a spoiler but at the very end when all of his band are asked like what their favourite Garth Brooks song is and they can't name anything other than The Dance or If Tomorrow Never Comes. It's incredible really yeah. It's exceptional and you would think that anyone if you've played in a band for years and years night upon night you would think that you'd go for a deep cut, but no, they just go oh, for like they just go for the same ones. And then there are some people that struggle and they're just like, um, oh, I'm gonna really have to think about that. And I'm like, are you like, do you? Like, no, you don't. <laughs> Play these songs every night. Surely yeah. there's one you love. Yeah, but I, I found know. I found this astonishing that it's actually coming through because Crow Park have a very strict um, three concert per year um, deal. Super strict. (laughs) There's going to be seven gigs next year. Ed Sheeran's doing two of them, people. Like the poor residents um, of that area because actually friends of ours live near enough to Crow Park and we went to their back garden during the summer and there was a match on. And just the sound of the crowd bouncing through the estates was unbelievable. Like, it's so loud. Um, So I could only then imagine what it's going to be like. Like, initially, I remember back in 2014 just being like, oh, for God's sake, like, just let him do the five concerts. But then when I heard the actual sound of the the crowd and the show, I was like, oh, Jesus, like that actually might make me lose the will to live, like to have to endure that for five nights. Now, luckily, they are spread out a bit. So his shows are September 9th, 10th and 11th. And then the final two are September 16th and 17th. So... I know it's it's incredible. I mean, you know, huge demand. Obviously, I think he sold four hundred thousand tickets the first mm. time round. Yeah, which is the population of Ireland is what a little under five million. So one in ten, nearly one in ten people wanted to go to Garth Brooks. And I wonder, right? yeah, and I wonder how many of those four hundred thousands were going to multiple shows. Oh well, you've got to assume a few. Yeah. Um but even still, Garth Mania here, I've never quite got it. No. Um, no. Yeah, maybe it's that preacher thing again. We just love a bit of religion. We love a bit of Garth. Garth, the G-Man is our religion and um, we're all going to church next September. Um, <laughs> when, uh, we can, yeah, go on, sorry. Oh no, I was just about to try and do a link there. <laughs> oh, do a link. Go on, Zara, do a link. Go on, that was going to be smooth and I stepped all over it. Yeah, Go God's sake, Craig. Um, so Craig, if you're not going to the G-Man, what about all together oh, yeah. now? Would you be going to that? Oh, sounds good. Yeah, when is it on? Um, that is on next August, I believe. I think, I think it it's August? July. Oh, I didn't include it in the running order. I've just realised. So I've not only stepped all over your transition. Um, I didn't give you the details for. I think it's late July, and it's going to feature Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Sinead O'Connor, Connor, yeah, whole bunch of people. Underworld are playing Groove Armada, 
uh, Jungle, Girl Band, mm. Pillow Queens, we love Denise Chyla, we love Gemma Dunleavy, same. Dry cleaning. Um, yeah, very, very good. Yeah, um, very good. I, I probably won't be going. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, Nick Cave is one of my, my more recent outdoor gigs. So mm. as much as I adore him and I've loved the more recent material, he's not one I'm like itching to go to. And festivals are kind of a big ask for me mm. in my 30s. Um, will you be going? Um, I've always been a bit intrigued by All Together Now. I've never been yeah, to it. Yeah, I have it. actually as well, yeah. Um, they always have very good lineups and from what I see from friends sharing bits on, say, Instagram or, or Twitter, it does actually look like a very nice time. Um, I don't know if I'll be going to this, to be honest. Um, I would go to see, like, dry cleaning, maybe. I, I really like them. But again, it's not really a band that I want to see at a festival yeah. I'd rather see them at their own headline show um, I'm kind of like you as well I'm I'm kind of getting past the festival age um, <laughs> um, well Zara yes. okay what, how about experiencing your pop stars on the small screen now that's a link phenomenal that's what I was striving for <laughs> <laughs> Alanis Morissette is <laughs> to develop this is this is a real sentence, a, a single camera sitcom that will be inspired by her life. Um, yes, a sitcom. I guess when you think of Alanis Morissette, do you think comedy, Sarah? No, not I don't at think all. Comedy. I don't think tragedy. I probably think irony. Right? I was just about to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, North Americans famously um, apparently don't get ironic humour, which I think isn't true. But you know, this might be the moment she's going to prove us Europeans wrong. Um, she's working on a project called Relatable. It's with ABC, so I think we know what kind of sitcom that's going to be. Maybe I'm doing ABC a disservice. I don't really care. They're a big corporation. <laughs> but, but she's going to oh serve God. as executive producer. She's going to write original music. I think that's the only hand she has in the show. So she's not going to be starring in it. She's not going to be exercising her comedic chops. She's not going to be writing. But Relatable will follow a woman in her 40s, now married and with children, who spent her younger years as a rock star and symbol of female independence. However, the influence that she once held as a public figure doesn't translate when it comes to keeping her household in order. With hilarious results. Oh, I added that last bit, but I guess, I guess what's that's what they're aiming for. Um, it doesn't sound all that enticing to me. Will it you sounds be dreadful. Out? No, yeah, it does, it? but what I would like to check out though is um, Jagged, which is a HBO Max. Um, installment of their Music Box documentary series. Um, was, yeah, and she actually, yeah, go on. This is the documentary thing that she is kind of, she's not in favour of. She's not backing this one, right? Yeah, she's rescinded her support for it, oh. even though she was interviewed for it. And I think she must have seen a preview of it. And she accused the team behind the documentary of having sala a salacious agenda, um, claiming that she was lulled into a false sense of security and telling her fans, this is was not the story I agreed to tell. I sit here now experiencing the full impact of having trusted someone who did not warrant being trusted. Um, so very interested to see exactly the angle that HBO Max have spun on that. Um, I presume that the the show is just basically about the making of Jagged Little Pill. Um, yeah, which would, so. I'd be interested um, to watch. I always like to learn. Um, <laughs> it's a good attitude to have. Yeah. <laughs> you um, don't always like to laugh though, so you won't be checking out Relatable, which is probably the right call. No. I don't know I, how that's going to work. 
Yeah. I, like I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you get like like the setup kind of might lend itself to getting in some good musical guest guest stars. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, have, maybe- like who's at the door? It's Eddie Vedder, or you know, it's it's Tommy Lee. Who's like playing her old roadie or something? I don't know. Yeah, you know the same. kids all love him, but it turns out he's selling crack, and they all learn a lesson. I don't know. What TV are you watching, Craig? Oh my god! <laughs> um, one thing though that I would sit down and watch, and I'm sure it would be a great laugh, is Studio Six Six Six. Oh, tell us more, Zara. So Studio 666 is um, a new horror comedy um, that was written by Dave Grohl. Well, at least I think he wrote it. Um, so basically Dave Grohl has um, wanted to add to the history of music films. So in line with maybe The Who's Tommy or uh, The Monkey's Head, The Beatles obviously have help. Um, yeah, Foo Fighters are rec- making a film called Studio 666. and It's, it's a horror comedy. Yeah, the full band are in a it. studio that's haunted. Well, it, their mo- most recent album, um, they talked a lot in the kind of the press around it. Mm. Medicine at Midnight, I believe it's called, about them actually being in a studio, this old house that was haunted. So I believe the groundwork it's called, for, for this. We know you loved that, Craig. Oh my God, so good. They went disco. <laughs> disco with ghosts, apparently. <laughs> Will you be um, watching this? Do you know what? As much as we slag off the Foo Fighters... Going way back, some of their music videos were pretty funny. Like, I think Dave Grohl's got a good sense of humour. Yeah. Like, I think I think he might be better in this kind of thing than, you know, in interview where he's just being asked about Nirvana for the umpteen time. I think, actually, they are a band that could pull this off. I mean, I don't need to hear their new album, but I might just check this out. Yeah, I especially loved the quote, actually, from Dave Grohl, because um, they've been working on this for about two years. Um, and I think, is it Tom Ortenberg is the director? Um, but anyway, oh no, sorry, it's directed by BJ McDonald. But uh, Dave Grohl said, be ready to laugh, scream and headbang in your popcorn. Studio 666 will fuck you up. It's like amazing. Incredible. Incredible. One person they should get on board who knows a little bit about comedy is Larry David. What a link. What a link. Sarah, this is a story you brought to us. Um, and I'm delighted you have because we get to talk about um, the presidents of the United States of America, the band, Blast from the Past, and featured apparently in a recent episode of Curb, which I knew was back, but I haven't got around to checking out as yet. What's the story here? Um, so the story here is, now I actually, I must admit, I haven't seen Curb Your Enthusiasm past season Two, I think. Yeah. Um, I do obviously know the whole premise of Larry David just having a terrible time of it in life. <laughs> um, but in a recent episode, actor Dylan O'Brien threw a rock concert, which Larry David attends. O'Brien performed a cover of President Presidents of the United States of America's uh, Peaches. As we can what agree, a tune. tune, absolute, absolute tune, yeah. And then um, David speaks to the actor backstage and asked, "What would prompt a person to sing such an idiotic song?" And the actor replied, "Because the way it's aged twenty years later, do you see how relevant it is now?" Um, I was really surprised that Larry David doesn't like this song because it's class and it's. Do funny. You know, I think he might love it. I think if he, he was does. like giving it the go ahead to be included, um, the band's frontman uh, Chris Blue was taking to social media, reposting the clip and saying, "I am complete uh, now that I've received Larry David's scorn," <laughs> which, of course, yeah, is how we would all feel about that. Mm. Um, I was thinking about that line though of like, 
you know, the way it's aged 20 years later and how relevant it is now. And like, Peaches, you know, it could be kind of profound. Apparently it was written when he was sitting beneath a, a peach tree and just thinking about a girl or something. But there is, I remember there's loads of stuff online about like how it's actually like a Marxist anthem. Like there's Marxist interpretations of peaches where it's like, you know, lines like peaches come from a can. They were put there by a man in a factory downtown. And it's all about like how you're at a peach tree and it's all natural, but actually we're just harvesting it and making it unnatural. And I can't get enough of them. And we're caught in this capitalist cycle. And apparently the band are like, no, it's not about that. It's about a girl. But maybe it is. Maybe it's a conspiracy. I don't know. One thing that is a conspiracy is uh, Demi Lovato's uh, union with the website Gaia. Have you? Uh, yeah. Are you familiar with this website? And I hope I've pronounced I'm not. it right. It seems like I should be, or maybe I shouldn't. Um, yeah, it is Gaia. Mm. Demi's been um, criticised for partnering with them um, because it's been accused of being a hub for QAnon conspiracy theorists, which, yeah, would be a problem for sure. Mm. Um, this is the Daily Beast criticising the website. It, it itself markets itself as the Netflix of spirituality. Phenomenal. Um, and it features hoaxes uh, about sinister aliens, vaccines, world-spanning cabals and reptilian overlords, which I must say, like, I'm on board with. Like, I, <laughs> I've been open on this show before about how, like, I will listen to a bit of Coast to Coast at night where they have someone on that was, like, abducted. And I love it. It's mm. such escapism. It's great. But it is also true that, like, all of this kind of, like, seemingly frivolous conspiracy to- stuff has been co-opted, I guess, by the extreme right wing in America in recent years. And um, yeah, the kind of accusation is that Gaia is trying to stream um, Demi's fan base who are like on board with their um, passion for aliens or should I say extraterrestrials. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Demi was pointing out that we shouldn't use alien, um, which is fair enough. But then also like getting them on the website and suddenly you're like, I don't know, a Trump supporter or you think like, John F. Kennedy Jr. is going to come back and, I don't know, beat up Biden or something. Mm. Um, So maybe that's the case. I mean, any website called Gaia sounds a bit iffy to me from the get-go. I'm amazed that Demi's gotten involved because do they need this in their life? I don't know. I wasn't actually so surprised because Demi is like really into UFOs and all of that kind of... um, esoteric kind of way of existence and whatnot. Um, I wasn't surprised entirely by It just seems like someone on their team would have been like, maybe don't partner with the Mm. website because it seems like some of their, I don't know, writers are also appearing on the Alex Jones show. I don't know. One Um, of my favourite bits though from it was just um, how they described... like Gaia's uh, website and how it promotes dangerous conspiracy content, including ancient alien and lizard people material. (laughs) I love all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the lizard overlords. But the the thing I think like right-wingers have adopted that and sadly it just ends up being like quite anti-Semitic and there's a lot of that Mm. stuff going on. So it's a bit of a mess. Um, But... We're standing by Demi. Uh, I love the kind of conspiracy stuff as long as it's a bit of fun. No yeah. one's getting harmed. I don't know. Speaking of um, spacers, <laughs> Kid with Nothing But Love, our final story 
Richard Ashcroft wants to work with Rihanna. I okay. Love this. Um, yeah, let's move on to the album. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Richard Ashcroft has been talking about um, how <laughs> a big thing he wants to do is write for other people. He wants to write for Rihanna. He wants an introduction. Um, he's put it out there into the world. Come get me, please, in the Daily Stars Wired column. And um, I kind of stuck this in because it made me think back to previous statements he's made. And I, I think he's in some kind of religion that believes quite heavily in manifesting stuff and visualization. And he's just been comments from him before where he's like, all of the Verve success, I like visualized all of it. I visualized the songs, the stage, um, me getting to number one when I was a teenager and it happened. And then he would talk about, and now what's going to happen next is I'm going to put on this variety show and Dolly Parton's going to sing, you know, um, I don't know one of his big songs or whatever and such and such is going to come out and it's going to be a whole celebration of his career and I don't think that's happened but this seems like he's sticking to his guns right you like this story I really liked it um I just kind of thought it was really gas how he was just like I want to write for Rihanna um obviously Adele would be a great one too but there's big competition to write for her and then he goes on because when I was reading I was like god does he just want to do this for the money and he addressed that he said um it's not for the dough but the idea you can get your melody heard by so many people which I guess fair enough um and then he also said that he wants to get into the studio with Liam Gallagher um that might be achievable <laughs> yeah and one of my favorite things that I learned recently because I went through a big verve um revisit and I had I, I think I listened to Sonic maybe like six times in a row one evening do you know what Sonic was the Dolly Parton song that was what I was thinking of that he's like it Dolly Parton's going to be belting out Sonic and at the time I was like that would work Oh my that God, would be that would so. be phenomenal. Um, yeah. But uh, Liam Gallagher's nickname for Richard Ashcroft is uh, Captain Rock. <laughs> Just phenomenal, I think. Yeah, Liam loves Richard Ashcroft yeah. and um, who can blame him? Uh, a lot of great songs <laughs> and we hope that comes to fruition. Speaking of a lot of great songs, um, it's ABBA time. We commence the episode. Um, we are reviewing Voyage. Um, so we shall get into it and yeah I've been I mean I won't say eagerly anticipating this one but intrigued for sure particularly with the talk of the live show and everything going around it we will talk about it for sure um, first we'll have a clip from I think the lead single Don't Shut Me Down uh, which we got a couple of months ago now and just yeah re-familiarise yourself and then we'll get into it So ABBA, best known, I guess, for being former Eurovision winners and then kind of languishing in obscurity for decades upon decades, um, getting some unusual notices for their late, latest release. Now, obviously, you know, Sweden's biggest export alongside IKEA, Volvo, Meatballs. <laughs> ABBA are probably my favourite out of all of those. Yeah. Volvos are pretty reliable, though, it must be said. They um, but yeah, <laughs> Yeah, right? Oh, I don't know. Not yeah, sure. I think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. All right. ABBA definitely are. Um, Agneta, Bjorn, Benny and Anna Fried, two married couples during their married years. Um, 
And yeah, won the Eurovision 1974 with Waterloo. And then they went on quite the commercial run. They wrote Mamma Mia when they were still considered one hit wonders. And that obviously changed all that. And just, you know, the run they went on. Winner takes it all, Dancing Queen, SOS. I could just, I'm going to stop reeling no, off no. ABBA songs. Because I reckon, you know, every house in Ireland probably has a copy of ABBA Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in terms of them deciding to stop working together all those years back, seems slightly commercial. I mean, they've talked about how The Day Before You Came, which is one of my favourite ABBA songs, you know, if that had been a bigger hit, um, they might have stuck it out a bit longer, um, but it wasn't. They were kind of on the wane anyway, and their marriages had disintegrated. There was kind of infighting, there was fighting with the manager, and it ground to a halt. Uh, Their last appearance, I think, together was Noel Edmonds' Late Late Breakfast Show, which is, like, not what you want. And it's online, and it's, like, five minutes of an interview where they clearly hate each other, and there's Noel Edmonds there. And it's just like, oh, the 80s have commenced. Um, And, yeah, I guess at that time, as, you know, they've talked about how when they wrapped up, they thought, that's it. ABBA were seen as really uncool. They didn't expect to have much of a legacy. And yeah, they were like beloved and enormous at the time. Maybe not critically adored. Probably kind of reviled when you look at old reviews. People kind of scoffing at them in the same way as, you know, the whole disco sucks thing. But obviously their critical standing is now not really in question. Mm. Uh, In a world awash in like synth pop for like the past 15 years, it feels like now is really their time. Yeah, and Sarah, I mean, Mm. I think you've said before, a bit underrated still. I mean, we'll get to it. We'll get into it. But I think obviously their influence is huge um, in our like post-poptimist landscape. It just seems like they're everywhere. We've had Mamma Mia on stage, on film, mm. um, the sequel. Finally, we're getting the real thing. And yeah, I mean, t- to cover the live show before we get into the album. So if you want to see ABBA live, you're going to have to make do with the Avatars. Um, so like yeah so they're hitting the road but the performances are like already captured and they're going to be digital avatars they've been like motion captured and pre-recorded action in like tron suits and de-aged so they're in their prime it's like a more fabulous version of the irishman <laughs> and it's a bit weird to be honest i don't know how i feel about it it's gonna be like a 10-piece band playing live with them but their stuff is was done in like five weeks um a year or more ago um would you go um, no, probably not. <laughs> yeah, I don't. No. I think seeing a kind of legacy act or a heritage act like that, that at this stage is as much about being in the same room as them, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you go and see Bobby D, you want to be like 60 feet from the real Bobby D. Exactly. You want to see Paul McCartney give like double thumbs up halfway yeah. through like a 15 minute Hey Jude and actually know he's there in flesh. I, I don't know. It's the age down aspect of it that yeah. I really don't like. Um, it just, there's something just quite cynical about that. Um, yeah, I was very interested in this uh, return. Craig, as you said there previously, I had um, kind of said that they were an underrated act in that. And it's something that... Um, David Hanradi likes to um, be quite dismissive towards me about um, what <laughs> I know, right? Um, in that I wasn't saying that they're an underrated act. That it was not what I meant. It was that they have so many album tracks that are right. phenomenal um, that just don't really get the attention or the light of day that say Dancing Queen or Mamma Mia get. Like you have Angel Eyes, If It Wasn't For The Nights. Um, 
even down to like say one of us which was a single but it, it's not really up there up in their kind of um bastion of hits um and they are just such an irresistible hook laden group um you know I found that even like with Voyage 40 years after The Visitors there are like this is such a bizarre album but there are moments where you can see a through line I think I don't know if you'll agree but you can certainly I think see a through line from say their late 70s output oh, to for sure, this yeah. um, I mean there's a song on this Just an Ocean which was actually a rejected single from 1978 and it certainly sounds like it came from that era um, there's songs like Keep an Eye on Dan which sounds very much like SOS at times and yeah. then even like the song I Can Be That Woman problematic as the lyrical kind of themes as that can be um that to me when I listened to it remind or made me think of say like a weird parallel universe where the couple hadn't broken up in the winner takes it all and it kind of felt like a continuation of that story um obviously I hated the sentiment in the chorus where it's like um you're not the man you should have been I let you down somehow like I'm not the woman that I could have been and it's like I felt really uncomfortable listening to um, Agneta singing that knowing that Benny and Bjorn had written those Well this is kind of the thing with ABBA right because obviously Mm. back in the day they seemed a bit like they were quite forward thinking I think the pop they were writing was um, complex and like looked at the human condition in a way that a lot of other you know catchy melodic stuff wasn't quite doing um, and you had the two female singers up front and um, that seemed to scare a lot of the kind of like more testosterone rockers as well. So like they're obviously seen as like a progressive force for good. But then you think now when you transplant them to modern times and even like for a bit of background on the record, uh, it was Benny and Bjorn that kind of started working on tracks and um, they had two which are, were the first two we got, Don't Shut Me Down, and the opener, I Still Have Faith in You, and like, we have to record these. And then it kind of became, we do two more, we do two more, which I think is maybe where this falls down. We'll get into it. But then they kind of contacted the ladies and were like, would you be up for this? And kind of had to talk them into it a little bit because they haven't been performing that much. And, um, and just presented them with the written songs again it's kind of in their voice and this is the way ABBA works and listening to it now in 2021 you're like yeah I guess we just expect like our pop singers to have a bit more input now and Mm. I don't know if that's always true but that is definitely something that stuck out to me on that song in particular as well as the opening about the (laughs) where the big reveal is that the woman that he's with is actually the dog dog. and I'm like (laughs) Oh, okay. Some of these lyrics. All right. Okay. Let's get into it. Yeah. So the early signs were kind of encouraging for most people, right? Um, Don't Shut Me Down has really grown on me. I'd kind of said it seemed a bit like cruise ship karaoke in terms of production. We've got 10 tracks, 10 new tracks. Do you think you're talking about like there being so many deep, great album cuts from the past? How many of these are being added to your playlist? Is this a worthwhile endeavor? What was your kind of feelings on the record listening through? Um, so when I was listening through, yeah, there were some standouts. Don't shut me down. Obviously, I it's such an infectious hook. Um, every time I've listened to it, the impact doesn't really waver for me. I I really enjoy it every time. I do find um a line in that song so perfectly kind of sums up 
a listener's overall kind of maybe feeling towards this album, which is, I believe it would be fair to say you look bewildered. Um, and I think bewildered is actually a very uh, good word to use for how this album kind of made me feel a lot of the time. Um, but I loved that. Keep an eye on Dan as well has a great kind of hook. It's maybe the most contemporary of the songs. That's what I felt. Yeah, it definitely is. It um, felt- like the pr- production on some of the other ones I thought really let stuff down but that yeah. felt like it could have been released by a lot of modern artists yeah and I did read actually that Bjorn had said that when they were writing the songs they went in trend blind and I think that that is very evident it doesn't really sound like they're trying to sound young in maybe like a Rolling Stones kind of way in 2021 um, there were some moments where I was kind of endeared Um mostly Ode to Freedom, the last song on it. I thought there was something kind of special about that. I liked the slow build up to it, the waltz melody. um, And I could imagine myself returning to that maybe sporadically. But I did find that any time the album finished and it's really succinct like it's only what about 37 minutes over 10 songs so that that I was kind of grateful for that but every time it finished and went on to say Chikatita then I did find myself enjoying that a lot more and I did one thing that I I thought about a lot was say with Just an Ocean and Don't Shut Me Down to a lesser extent maybe um, I Still Have Faith in You I wondered how I would receive these songs with a 40 year, 45 year legacy behind them if I would think about them differently. Um, I also as well just, I just was thinking a lot about ABBA and just how enduring they are. And again, with say, I can be that woman and just how good they are at that lyrical theme of um, a dysfunctional or um, relationship in demise. They're so good at that strand of songwriting. And it actually really reminded me a lot of, say, classic country, like Tammy Monette and George yeah. Jones and how they brought that very classic style of songwriting into really stone cold pop hits. And I mean, it can't be denied that ABBA are probably um, the the act who really invented that Scandinavian style of heartbreak through pop that, you know, obviously Robin does now and a lot of artists do now. Um, I found it really interesting as well, just the, the, the reviews around this. I'm sure you had a look at them and yeah. um, I thought Jude Rogers, as always, she wrote a brilliant one for The Guardian and it was really the only one that I felt aligned with um I thought it was baffling that you know anyone could give this a perfect score and I think another really important thing about this album and about ABBA because we all have such with ABBA Gold we all have such um intrinsic connections with ABBA and there's so much nostalgia I think based on how we perceive ABBA and I think approaching this album especially from a critical point of view you really have to divorce yourself from any kind of nostalgia you might have for them because you know you hear songs like Little Things the Christmas song or when (laughs) when you danced with me or even Bumblebee and they are awful awful songs um so yeah I don't know what else were you thinking about this album 
You mentioned like the closer there and I think there's a really good song in it, Out to mm. Freedom. But I think that's an that's just one example of how they instantly kind of squander all of that with these like syrupy like Disneyland strings. You almost expect them to start belting out like a whole new world or something. And I will say just like production-wise it really let it down. I think it was so over-egged and obvious with certain motifs at times. Cheesy flutes and bells and whistles and it sounded kind of cheap to me. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, did they blow the budget on like the avatars? Like, you know, they're doing this revolutionary show and stuff. And this sounds like they couldn't get a band together. Like, I think that they were talking about how they did a lot of it on like one synth. And I'm like, it kind of sounds like mm. that. And it sounds dated and it sounds kind of fussy. Like there's fussy instrumentation. It just feels like, I don't know, old flowery curtains or something <laughs> in your grand's house I don't know and because you know I do think in terms of you know being melodic songwriters um they still have it I think Agnita and Anna Freed they sound great actually I'm glad they haven't been de-aged in that regard because I think you know the kind of older voices lend a lot of this material some extra weight um, so I think from that aspect, yeah, it's good. And like very kind of briefly in patches, there is magic that shines through. Mm. But then, as you say, there's other patches where it's just kind of god awful, really. Um, you mentioned the trend blind thing. And I think they're right. Like we don't need trap drums on an ABBA record or like, I don't know, future feature. Or maybe we do. Maybe that'd be fun. But maybe there's a middle ground of like, Random Access Memories isn't the greatest record in the world, but it sounds very lush and mm. organic and pristine. And I'm like, if you got the Daft Punk lads, if you got people of that ilk, just an extra voice in the room with ABBA, just overseeing the sound, just gently, um, carefully updating the sound. I think some of these songs could really have come to life in, in a different way. Um, like Just a Notion, which is the 1978 song, um, the vocals are from 1978, I believe, and they just did a different backing track. But when you listen to it, it's actually the backing track that sounds mad old yeah. and like fusty and stuff, which is like telling, I think. Um, and then the other big problem for me is just lyrically. Mm. I mean, some of these lyrics, we've talked about it and I can be that woman, but I mean, <laughs> a lot of this, little, little things. Oh God. This seems symptomatic of them going, you know, having two songs, they really were like desperate to record. Then maybe having two more, uh, maybe you keep an eye on Dan where like, we're on a roll here. Mm. And then they're like, we need to do this album. We do a Christmas song. And yeah. it's such like an adir. It's so cheesy. It's so overly earnest, which, you know, most of these songs are. It feels like one, if like Bjorn was the musical director of his like grandkids, you know, <laughs> school play at Christmas, it might fit in there. But like, it's not, ABBA should have a really great Christmas song in them. Um, this mm. is not it. No. And I, when I was listening to it, I'm like, you made, it, made a good case against this where I started thinking, was this kind of like, was this ever dust with ABBA? Like, did they have, do they have classic albums? Do, were they just a singles band? Were there those kind of deep cuts? Is this par for the course where we get like four really good pop songs and the rest is just like... Mm. Like, I know they had stuff like Bang a Boomerang and Dum Dum Diddle back in the day. So maybe I'm just like, this is like your typical pop throwaway stuff that they were doing anyway. Yeah. Maybe this is just their hit rate. And I started doubting Old Abba, which I probably shouldn't have. And certainly lyrically, I think there's other points where um, 
the lyrics on this showcase how great their lyrical stuff used to be. And I guess it's because so much of this feels really mundane and like they didn't have a huge amount to write about or they just didn't have that creative flow of like, I was thinking of, you know, uh, the day before we came where it's like dealing with the details and kind of kitchen sink mundanity of of life. Mm. And it's all to serve this kind of payoff where it's about the transformative moment. And that's what they're, their kind of pop music is it's transformative and they're kind of elevating the mundane but with this it just felt like mired in it it just mm. felt like keep an eye on Dan for example which is keeping the Christmas theme because I think it's got the jingle bells melody not to ruin it <laughs> kind of works it, I'm putting in the category of like four wins by Bright Eyes where I'm like it's clearly a Christmas rip but I do like the song so it's grand mm. but when that chorus explodes and you're like yes this is like peak ABBA right now yeah. the lyrical content is just like keep an eye on Dan like you can get out of hand <laughs> like they're very close to just being like the bins need to be left out on Tuesday and like there's some snacks you yeah. know the press over the microwave and I'm just like this is not working for me yeah like the line as well in that song where it's like uh, don't forget that I'll be back on Sunday to get him so it's like yeah <laughs> yeah it's it I was really sh- shocked on my first listen to that and I was like, is this song actually about a, a separated couple's like custody arrangements? Like it was just like, like I adore The Winner Takes It All. I, it's one of my favourite songs of all time. And even as well, like one of us, again, another song about a couple that just aren't in sync with each other and someone who is like longing for the opportunities that they have missed out on and I they're so fascinating to listen to and kind of evergreen as well where as this just felt like they were like okay we've really mastered divorce core well no not (laughs) not really like the true meaning of divorce core but the like Themat- thematics of divorce core proto pro- yeah yeah exactly and it's just like they really just went that extra mile but it just made it as you were saying quite mundane and just uncomfortable to listen to it's like I don't want to know what your that extent of your familial setup is and even down to like the dog like the dog's point of view of this like riff between a couple again I'm like no this is uncomfortable for me to listen to yeah um and as well the only way it could have got more uncomfortable is it like if it finished with a third verse where they like patch things up and they start making sweet sweet love in the middle of the sitting room as the dog watches on like it was getting there and I was like I don't need to listen to this yeah well actually like with little things as well the Christmas song there is that kind of weird innuendo of them having like a cheeky ride on Christmas morning before the kids kids like go down to play with all their Santa toys which I just thought was really weird but one thing you were saying as well earlier um, which is something I was thinking about actually when I was walking um, home from work was how ABBA weren't a great album band they don't I've contradicted what I've said earlier a little bit but they I don't believe have an album from start to finish that is like gold yeah Um, they have. Uh, I think you'll find they do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they do have songs, album tracks that are amazing. But from start to finish, they don't have a superb album. And I had that thought again. I was like, maybe they are actually just a very good singles band. And I think that I would have received this a lot warmer if they had have just released I Still Have Faith in You, Don't Shut Me Down and Just an Ocean. 
I think they're really, the, and maybe Ode to Freedom as like later down the line, some kind of B-side or something. But I just yeah. don't think that this is a necessary album. I don't think it gives longstanding fans any sense of closure really either, um, as it is a final album from them. So yeah, it just, it seems a bit money grabby. Yeah, I think it could have been an EP or, mm. you know, a few singles just kind of, airdropped in as the shows go on I think that would have been perfect I think there is some strong melodies here and just some tracks where you're like that can fit in the show do you know what I mean that's Mm -hmm. like that can you know that can rub shoulders with some of their better stuff but overall I'd probably give it a 4 out of 10 I'm not going to go back to a huge amount of this what would you give it? 4 yeah 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 what could have been if um, they just stayed together and hadn't perfected Divorce Corps and separated for decades upon decades upon decades? That's what we might talk about now in our top five as we segue into the top five songs from Couples. Um, yeah, we had a little chat about our approach to this, so I guess we can get into it. But yeah, it's musicians who were romantically involved. There's plenty of kind of intrigue when you delve into those for sure. Um those connections, backstories within bands, it's always fun. Um, you'd done sibling songs previously with Dave. Mm. It's kind of along those lines in terms of how you can dig in about... I'm hoping there's no crossover, of course. Mm. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it can also be a minefield, as we're maybe going to find out, just in terms of, you know, you think these days there's power dynamics, there's, there's a lot of, like, older guy... Um, getting in a singer and them becoming couples. We'll talk about it. I went quite wholesome, I think, and I picked what I think are a lot of great songs. I'm sure you did too. Let's get straight into it with you first, I guess, as guest. Um, Do you want to give us your number five? Yeah, so my number five comes from a sort of power couple within the alternative music world. Did you get your Yeah, so that was Disconnection Notice from Sonic Youth. Um, At the feature. Yeah, of course. A um, couple in that band um, was Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon. They were a couple for 29 years up until 2011. Um, that is from Murray Street, which was their 11th album, I believe. Uh, from 2002, it was the first with uh, Jim O'Rourke, who I think really polished their sound so well and it would I think be my favourite Sonic Youth album Oh really? Wow Yeah It is great It was definitely a total renaissance for them right they kind of he was uh, Muse is probably the wrong word but he worked so well with them and yeah they'd kind of been languishing slightly so yeah it's a good shout Yeah I think he really irons out a lot of the things that they were trying to do but add such a nice kind of sophistication to them Um, yeah so as I was saying the alternative music's power couple of the time and one that when they did divorce was just so shocking because everyone thought they were so solid they seemed really right on I have a bit of a controversial opinion here in that I don't really like either Thurston Moore or Kim Gordon I find them to be people yeah I find them to be quite annoying and I think Thurston Moore even more so is kind of uh, after what Accepted. kind of came out, he seems yeah. yeah. Like I, he, d- 
the thing about Sonic Youth is they always did seem a bit like too cool for school, yeah. didn't they? Like yeah. they're kind of arty rockers. They did great stuff, but they just felt like they would look down at you. Yeah. Like, like that's ev- the vibe I always got from them. Even in the Homer Palooza episode, they're really annoying, I think. They don't <laughs> they don't have any kind of redeeming qualities. Um obviously they broke up because Thurston Moore was um having a long standing affair. Um and Kim found out about it and actually Her book, Girl in a Band, details some of it and particularly their final show, which was in Brazil. And she like just her uh, recounting of like the the atmosphere during like the brief run of shows they did. It's really uncomfortable. And obviously it's also very like um, you can imagine these kind of things happening where like Thurston was like uh, slapping the boys on the shoulder before going out on stage. And she was just like, this was all about the boys. She found him really childish and phony. And she was just saying that she found it really difficult to talk to him, which is completely understandable given what had unfolded and what he had done. Um, she said also that like they had maybe exchanged 15 words all week while they were doing those shows um, and everything he did was basically just like wrecking her head. Um, yeah, so I could not include this because as I said, I absolutely adored that song in particular. So it was a perfect excuse to squeeze it into a top five. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think they're really, really annoying people. Um, <laughs> I, I love them musically as well. So they were on my shortlist. But for those reasons, I was just like, you know, the dream is over with Sonic Youth as people, I feel. So I'm glad you included uh, a shout to them, but they will not feature spoilers in my oh, list. Good. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, instead, we turn to um, a couple that went the distance, and here's one of the most romantic songs of all time. Glasses After Dark, The Cramps, yeah, that is Lux Interior and Poison Ivy Rorschach. Um, proof that God couples do it better. Um, I guess they're kind of punk rockabilly, but you know, same vein. And at a time, you know, when they came out, they were just making up genres as they went along. Uh, hugely influential. I probably got into them from like the horrors talking about them back when I was a teenager or something. And like as aggro as they sound, they were a lot of fun. They were so simpatico, apparently, as people. They had a tremendous look uh, individually and as a unit. And yeah, they were together for 33 years until uh, Lux Interior, Eric Lee, uh, Perkisher, um, passed away a few years ago. Um, I think he had a heart condition. It was like a bit of a shocking passing, but they were, you know, still living together. I think they lived in a house next to a cemetery, which is great together. They had a nice life together and they had all the same interests going back to like their college years. So early rock and roll. B-movie kind of sexploitation films, just lowbrow culture, I guess, and all that schlocky stuff. And they just poured it all into this amazing music. And um, I guess took the Ramones thing a bit further and more cartoonish because there were CBGBs in the 1970s and they were quite out there. Um, Yeah, they met in college as well, which is the college they went to sounds incredible. It was Sacramento State College in the early 70s. And... (laughs) 
It was apparently a very, like they had a very strange art department where all of the teachers were just out of their minds on drugs. They met in a class called Art and Shamanism, Shamanism. <gasps> um, the textbook no. for the class was called The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, <laughs> which is basically about how Jesus is a magic mushroom, <laughs> which is tremendous. Oh my and word. Yeah, like... It's it's so good. I love this. A Poison Ivy's talked about how it was the kind of place where the teacher might go, I haven't seen you in class for a while. What grade do you want? And you'd go, like, give us an A. And they'd be like, all right. They were crazy times. <laughs> um, but they had a really wholesome kind of meeting where I think they, like, noticed each other around and, like, she gave him a lift at one point and they were kind of quickly... They had all the same classes and they were inseparable and he'd always wanted to be in a band and she's like, let's just do it. Um, So they did and they would have been a band, you know, if they hadn't kind of hooked up. Um, And, yeah, there's some really nice, um, (laughs) just, like, recollections from Poison Ivy of, like, how when they met, they were kind of like sending each other psychic brainwaves. And um, she goes on to talk about like how actually in certain astrology, they shouldn't have been an item. But actually that was just like for traditional marriages and it meant they'd cause a revolution. And like, so they were bigger than astrology. And then Lux Interior talks about how like the first time he saw her walking down the street, um, she was wearing really short shorts and she looked great. (laughs) And he had hard on like after three seconds, but he goes on to say nice things as well. Uh, They had a bond and they were living together within two weeks and they're like inseparable um, and yeah just right until the end um, they talked about the band being like their dream child they never had children they were just kind of on the road together and there's so much, so much great music as well mm. Human Fly people will know Can Your Pussy Do The Dog I Was A Teenage Werewolf um, the album Songs The Lord Taught Us is probably a good starting point but um, yeah just really fantastically fun and kind of like outsiders that found each other so mm. that's my number five I really hope that in that class the mushroom class what was the full title for that? It was Art and like Shamanism and the textbook was um, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross which is about how actually Christianity is about like worshipping Jesus who's really a magic mushroom and it's all like subtextually about psychedelic drugs Well I think obviously Poison Ivy and Lux Interior saying like they would be great crack and have a good sense of humour so I would like to think that after maybe like one of the classes using that mushroom textbook that Poison Ivy went up to Lux Interior and was just like you look like a fungi (laughs) (laughs) Give us your number four Um, Continuing on actually with um, someone who has a great uh, way with words like myself and puns. Um, This is, why are you laughing? This is my number four. Leave Kentucky, come to Tennessee. You're the only Tennessee. You're the only ten I see I've looked through offices and honky-tonks For man, man enough to be Yeah, so that was uh, Silver Jews, David Berman and Cassie Berman um, A couple for roughly a decade um, this was a late one that I had to switch up my top five for so I would have had that Monday excellence only that I remembered Silver Jews um, I'm also very sorry to bring the tone down and make it very sad for a couple of minutes you make me laugh you make me cry <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, 
obviously David Berman passed away in 2019. Really, really sad when he left us. And his last album as Purple Mountains was basically all about um, his breakup with Cassie. They broke up. This is so devastating on Valentine's Day in 2018. And after that, yeah, after that, he left Nashville, which he uh, in that song, Tennessee, asks her to marry him and move to Tennessee. And he actually went to Indiana, I think, and he started to live in a vacation cabin that Drag City owned. Um, This song, though, Tennessee, I think just shows just the wry wit of Berman, um, how masterful he is in his wordsmithery. Um, The musicality of that song as well is like kind of uncharacteristically upbeat for Silver Jews as well. Um, It's one that really kind of invites you in and you feel like you're in the bar that um, that the kind of fake band that's in the song would perform in um yeah I was just loved this um Cassie obviously joined the band later on she's she featured on Bright Flight Tanglewood Numbers and Lookout Mountain Lookout Sea she played bass and she sang as we heard there and I don't know if you've watched the Silver Jews documentary where they kind of go on tour a little bit and they go to... I actually haven't seen it now. Is it worth watching oh, or will I, will I be able to take it? Oh, Jesus, you won't be able to take it. It's, okay, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. But um, there's just like really nice um, moments captured of like him and Cassie and William Tyler as well when they were like touring around. And one thing that's kind of always like said about Cassie is that she was such a kind of constant and stabilising force for Berman um, you know people talk about him as like a shambolic presence um, but that her presence really kind of uh, levelled him if you will uh, he felt comfortable around her and then he just kind of retreated more and more mm. to just becoming quite reclusive uh, one of the videos actually for Purple Mountains I think Darkness and Cold um, he was almost so reclusive that that video is shot in his in it where he was like living Cassie's in that video um, there's songs as well like She's Making Friends I'm, I'm Turning stranger. stranger yeah which is devastating, devastating. isn't it like she's trying to get on with her life which is you know what she should be doing but he's yeah. just like is rooted there and like the observer and it's so it's, it's so well written of course but exactly, it's so yeah. painful yeah it's so and yeah like All My Happiness is Gone as well which oh. I'm so sorry <laughs> Gonna be so listening sorry. to that all night, and you've yeah. just ruined my evening. But also yeah. enhanced it. Yeah, a nice choice. Okay, for my number four, um, I'll just come out with it. This was going to be Sonny and Cher. I got you, babe. And then I was reading about Sonny and Cher, and um, I'm not sure. <laughs> we'll see. It might crop up later. I don't know if it's going to be in Sarah's list, but instead, it's now this. Yeah, so that was the Fuji's and we'll talk about that and you know, that that's a bit toxic as well. But um, you know, covering the spectrum. Adam reckons I should read out the email I sent to him earlier today, so <laughs> it goes. <laughs> Yeah, so it turns out Sonny Bono <laughs> hooked up with Cher when she was 16, all caps. 
Devo, or let's swap in the not complicated at all relationship of Wyclef Sean and Lauren Hill into that spot. So yeah, that was me doing some digging. And um, Amazing. I still love that song. And I love Fuji La. It's taken from the score, 1996. And the iconic hip, hip-hop trio of um, Wyclef Sean, Praz and um, Lauren Hill. And there was quite the kind of love triangle storyline going on during like the height of their success. Um wasn't involving Praz, unfortunately for him, I guess. I don't know. It's like third wheel in a love triangle, which is always awkward. Um, but between Wyclef, his cousin, which I guess makes sense, and Lauren, and the woman Wyclef would soon marry. And then later, like, a Marley got involved. And there was this whole thing, which I guess I'd kind of known about um, because I did some digging. And then I was like, I didn't know the whole story. So the Fugees had great success on the release of their debut in 1992, Blunted on Reality. There's some amazing stuff on that. Nappy Heads, great writing, um, great sampling, kind of political bent that they would then follow through on the score. And I guess we all know about the score. It was just one of the biggest albums from 1996, one of the best, I think it's still one of the best-selling hip-hop records of all time, won a bunch of Grammys. They were enormous. Bono called them the Hip-Hop Beatles, (laughs) which is as good as it gets, right? (laughs) Um, I think this is their pinnacle and they certainly talked about this being one of the first tracks they did so this kind of it was done before the score it kind of they based the vibe of the album around this track and it's a good example of how they were just such an amazing melting pot of sounds and the chemistry I guess they had and yeah they had more chemistry than I guess we knew about at the time there was this clandestine relationship going on Wyclef Jean has talked a lot about it, of course. Lauren Hill has not. Um, so we'll get his point of view, I guess. Um, it's quite defensive. He says, the people are blaming me for the breakup, I guess, of the Fugees. Uh, if you all have the score that you love so much, well, it wouldn't have happened without the love triangle of everything that you're hearing. Inside of the mystery of the score, it's always a passionate undertone in it. I don't think that the music actually would have came out like that if we weren't going through what we were going through. Uh, so what they were going through was that Basically, he was dating both Lauren and his future wife at the same time. He'd met Claude Annette, sounds lovely. She was a few years older than him and they kind of fucked up. He was attracted to her because for her value system, apparently. Her family is very religious and traditional, says Wyclef. So I brought her to my dad's church and courted her the proper way and we started dating. And yeah, then he was hooking up with Lauren as well. And that was quite a different relationship. Volatile, as you can imagine. Um, He said they were pursuing a dream together. This goal, their mutual love of music. It was the language that brought them together. And he just kind of says it was combustible, which clearly it was. And um, you can hear the tension in the music. All of that impossible love, he writes in his memoir. Um, It was like we knew it wasn't going to work from the start, but we couldn't shy away from it. It's not that it was wrong. It's just that it was too good to be true. And it's kind of what tore the group apart. Um, Lauren then ended up in a relationship with um, one of the Marleys, I guess. Um, Became pregnant. And Wyclef says for a long time she was saying it was his and then it was revealed that it wasn't his and he's like, our love spell was broken. She could no longer be my muse and they broke up and um, turned out that she didn't need him as her muse because she made a tremendous album and he made other songs. Um, but yeah, I mean, they certainly had a huge moment. They're coming back. So I think mm-hmm. there's, it's like water in the, under the bridge at this point, which is good to hear. But in the 90s, I mean, I remember even as a small kid, they were very alluring. They were doing something totally different to my um, 
uneducated ears, but they were just, they were massive mm. and they were different. And I still go back to that record sometimes and it, it stands up. Mm, yeah. Um, actually, when I was kind of doing my kind of precursory, making sure that I wasn't leaving a couple out uh, that I'd regret, I completely forgot about the Fugees. And then when I saw that, I was like, Craig will have that. So that's... Uh, that's oh, nice. I was like, that's, that ex- <laughs> I was like that's extremely Craig core. So I'll um, just rest on Craig having that. Such a great shout, such a great band. And yeah, I remember my older sister having a Fuji's album. I can't remember which one it was, but I just absolutely loved it whenever she'd play it when she was like overlining her lips and penciling her eyebrows on to go out on a Friday night. So excellent shout, Craig. Um. I, for my number three, wish I had uh, had the strength. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Um, it's not Sonny and Cher, but it, oh. it, it, it is a couple that are in their own way problematic. One of the members of the couple in particular. So Adam, do you want to hit it? Life is what happens to while you're busy making other plans Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Beautiful boy Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Uh, Yeah, so that was John <laughs> John Lennon uh, oh, Lennon. <laughs> I have to know That was uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono Beautiful Boy from uh, Double Fantasy which of course is a collaborative album between the two. It was uh, John Lennon's last album before the CIA murdered him. And um, <laughs> oh my God. Read more about it on Gaia.com. <laughs> um, yeah, this is one in my top five that to this moment, my palms are a bit sweaty. Um, I'm kind of regretting it. But at the same, I think I w- I'll just cut across and say I think this is a good inclusion. I mean, you know, a really famous couple, yeah. And it would have been weird not to talk about them. I think. I think so, actually, Craig. Yeah, it would have been weird not to talk about them. Um, interesting context as well for this couple. Obviously, Yoko Ono has been uh, wrongly accused of breaking up the Beatles, vilified yes. for cent- for decades. Um, they met in 1966 uh, while John Lennon was still married to Cynthia, which actually doesn't bode well for John Lennon either. Um, it doesn't sound like a very nice man to have been married to at all. Um, they married in 1969 they took a break actually in 1973 as well for his uh, famous lo- Lost Weekend, which lasted 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> lasted 18 months. John starts going out with the couple's assistant, May Pang. Um, there's a funny quote from Yoko Ono in, a, in an interview she did from like 2012, where she said about the affair that she apparently consented to as well. She said, I needed a rest. I needed space. Can you imagine every day of getting this vibration from people of hate? You want out of that. Um, So basically she was just, their marriage was kind of going through a rocky patch. She told him to just go off. Mm. So was Oates. Um, In that time, he also recorded with Harry Nelson. They went out drinking a lot. Um, They then came back together, Yoko and Lennon, that is. Um, John apparently begged her to take him back and let him back move back into their home. 
So that happened. And then they had a shift where he was like, okay, I'm ready to focus on being a good. <laughs> Adam is just like, they had a shift, did they? <laughs> I, can't, I, actually, I, I, I can't even look at either of you two at the moment when I'm like justifying this um so they got back together he was like I'm gonna try and be a good husband so they had their son Sean Lennon who of course is inspired the inspiration for this song Beautiful Boy um I've always really loved this song I think it's really sweet it's one of the it's one of the redeeming songs I think to Double Fantasy which is it's a bit of a stinky album um the background to it is that Lennon was on a sailing trip. He got stuck in in Bermuda on his yacht um, during a storm. He had to take the wheel of the yacht and then he just wanted to make music again. And the structure for this apparently was to mimic that of a heartbeat. So he has a song, she has a response, that kind of deal. It got really bad reviews when it came out in, I think, September 19... No, November 1980, perhaps, because he was uh, murdered in December, obviously. And then it was reappraised and celebrated. Um, There's also that song Woman on it, which it's not great. It's kind of misogynistic in a way some parts misogynistic uh, Brian Ferry covered that song he wouldn't cover Brian a Ferry misogynistic is, oh. song what are you talking about Brian Ferry <laughs> married his son's ex-girlfriend <laughs> um, but oh now that's divorce core that's extreme divorce core but uh, Sean Lennon has talked about the song obviously he I think was involved in remastering um, hmm. some of uh, John Lennon's work and he said actually that that he found Double Fantasy obviously very difficult to work on because it just reminded him of that time of his dad dying. Um, he said that uh, working on Beautiful Boy when he had to do that, he said, honestly, it was my least favourite experience. It was just kind of awkward. That song makes me feel like I'm infantilised or something. People always play that song and look at me with a smile like, isn't that sweet? I'm like, oh God, I'm an old man. I'm not some smiling oh baby God, in a yeah. baby food commercial. So he said it was his, it's his least favourite song musically just because it's so saccharine. But obviously he does, you know, he does like that the song is about him and that, yeah. you know. It's I, a, I've always liked it. I like the vulnerability of it. Yeah. It, seems, it rings true. And yeah, I mean, you can look at a lot of different versions of Lennon and be like, don't like that guy. Mm. Um, I guess when he was assassinated by the CIA. Thank you. It was, you know, coming off the back of five years of, I think he'd been like house husband and he was like baking bread and he was trying to kind of redeem himself, Mm -hmm. I guess, which everyone should have the ability to do, you would hope, and just adds to the tragedy and, you know, um, young kid loses his dad and um, yeah, good choice. Let's return to the wholesomeness and stability of indie rock, will we? Here we go. Yolo Tango, um, you can have it all um, from 2000s and then nothing turned itself inside out and the couple in question are Ira uh, Kaplan and Georgia Hubley. Um, they were a couple before they for- formed the band, they're now married, still together, um, Hoboken's finest. 
And yeah, they formed the band back in 1984 with no real plan. They said they just felt like they enjoyed the feeling of playing together. And it's all very, very wholesome. They're, you know, beloved of music journalists like us because I think Ira was a music journalist, you know, he was a music critic and they're great with covers. They know their indie rock history. They're like a kind of nerdy Velvet Underground. Velvet Underground were nerdy as well, but they just pretended they weren't. And, um, Yellow Tango of no such qualms, but just, yeah, they're one of those acts that can be a bit intimidating to get into just because of the breadth of their catalogue, I guess. I can hear the heart beating as one is probably my go-to. There's so much greatness out there. But yeah, these these are kind of like the cramps without the cool costumes. Just all the quotes I was reading as I did my research was like, these people are adorable. Um, They're making it work. And, you know, they're asked in interviews about like, oh, the lyrics to this song, is that about like your partner? And they'll kind of go like, look at their feet and shuffle about and be like, yeah, I'd say the, all the lyrics kind of are about <laughs> them. Um, and you're just like, oh. So it's real, like, if you're to do a kind of 2000s indie rom-com, mm. you could just use the plot of their lives. And I don't know if it'd do well at the box office, but I'd probably enjoy it. I'd go and then that. come back to it. 10 years later and be like this doesn't work and it's slightly <laughs> misogynistic but um, <laughs> um, it's my number three yeah, yeah it's a great shout um, I actually was listening to this again earlier on and because I have featured Yola Tango in a previous top five I think in recently with Dave for Songs by Home yeah. I was like, okay, I can't uh, include them, but um, I'm really glad she did. And also... This and, is working well. Yeah. And then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out is probably my favourite one. Um, yeah. I love Every Day. I love um, Let's Save to- Tony Orlando's House. They're just yes. such a great band. Um, the d- dynamic between the two of them as well is so good. Obviously, shout out as well to James New. Um, yes. He has to get some love too. I saw them two or three years ago in the Olympia and it was a great show. Um, so yeah, and they seem really nice. And they were also in the Gilmore Girls together. They were? Yeah. <laughs> legends. Okay, let's, le- absolute legends. Let's have your silver medal, I guess. So my silver medal, we're sticking in um, the kind of alternative cool uh, sphere uh, but we're going dream pop So that was Cherry Coloured Funk from Cocktail Twins, of course. Um, those gorgeous reverbed guitars paired with Elizabeth Frazier's phenomenal vocals. Ones that just, I don't think, have ever been matched really, Craig. Would you mm. agree? Yeah, she's like otherworldly. Yeah. It's phenomenal, as you um, say. And otherworldly, yeah. Like a lot of her lyrics as well just are quite incoherent a lot of the time. They sometimes can sound like their own language, which is great them all for that kind of weirdness um, so the couple in this band were Elizabeth Fraser and Robin Guthrie who's the guitarist and kind of like their producer mainly they were together for 13 years um, up until 1993 so three years after um, Heaven or Las Vegas came out 
which was an album that I think is where a lot of the cracks were starting to show with them. They were expecting their first and only daughter, child together. And um, obviously Robin Guthrie as well at the time was going through a very difficult time of drug addiction which was seeping into his studio, the studio habits for him. He wasn't really present in the studio as much, but Elizabeth was really hoping that the arrival of their first child would give him some kind of new outlet and outlook on life. Don't think it really did have the effect that she was hoping for. And Simon Raymond, member of the band as well, he then kind of had to step in with production duties and... There's just such a nice quote. Raymond's actually dad, uh, Ivor Raymond, he passed away. So the album is a weird mixture of celebration of life in birth and death. And I think that's really nicely captured in some of the soundscapes on this. Um, But yeah, Raymond was like talking about how he'd be listening to Frasier, like just deliver lines over and over all day in the recording booth and she'd be like oh was that all right and he'd be like I had to scrape the tears away and say that was all right Liz <laughs> which uh, kind of made me a bit teary-eyed um and Elizabeth Fraser, yeah when they broke up they were offered I think to play reform it to play at Coachella in 2005 maybe and I think they were offered a lot of money which would have been really great for say uh, Simon Raymond getting Bella Union really secure and off the ground yeah but um a couple of weeks before that uh, appearance Elizabeth Fraser was like no I can't do it and it's to the point where she was just like she actually just can't be around her bandmates anymore especially Robin Guthrie and um, she finds that very difficult and there was some quotes from her just saying how she, you know if you she said they are my life and when you're in something that deeply you have to remove yourself completely um, which is kind of understandable if it brings back all kind of certain memories which are very difficult to relive in your mind I can completely understand why she would back away and um, so yeah this was a, another kind of late entry I actually didn't know that Elizabeth Fraser and Robin Guthrie had been a couple I, I am now like hating myself because I think I did know that and I was listening to this exact song earlier today and repeated it a couple of times oh and didn't once God. clock like I, I totally forgot mm. so it didn't even dawn on me it's probably a good thing because I would have been like oh do I need to rearrange more stuff mm. um, had too much as it is so let's go to my number two great shout I love that song in particular mm. so good this is one I was trying to cram into best duos recently enough didn't quite work, but I love this song. I love this couple. Here we go. It's the girl missing the Tottery remix um, of course and yeah Zara you screamed out were they a couple? Unbelievable <laughs> um, Craig <laughs> So it's Tracy Torn who's tremendous and Ben Watt who's also tremendous and yeah they're still a couple <gasps> they're still married yes! but they were very very low key and they haven't been in a band together since I think 2000 but they're you know 
the relationship is still going strong. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one. It's just last month, um, I was checking on Twitter, they celebrated their 40th anniversary. Oh. And I guess they've both like written like so many books about their lives at this point that they're now open to discussing the relationship in public. And um, Tracy Torn was saying, met Ben for the first time in the whole student union bar around this time in the evening 40 years ago today. Very glad I did too. Anyway, to celebrate, he's having a beer and I'm having some Prosecco and then we're having different dinners because we didn't fancy the same thing and that, people, is my only relationship advice. You're welcome. And then Ben jumped in with OMD's Souvenir was playing. Loved your rolled up jeans and eyeliner. Still do. Heart emojis. And yeah, they're kind of adorable and a really, really good band that are a bit slept on, I guess. Mm. Because that, that remix was huge like I think it went to the top of charts in the US and they were just like a little kind of indie band from Hull and they kind of proceeded to do more electronic stuff but they they switched up their styles so much that when you go from album to album it's hard to get a handle on which version of everything but the girl you you love I think most of it's really good Eden's a good starting point um the debut they do that like sophisty pop thing really well I guess obviously her voice is so great it's Mm. just like a kind of it's like a warm embrace and um yeah it's worth diving into their back catalogue um but yeah, I love their backstory as well. Better College in Hull. They're named after a furniture store in Hull. It wasn't called Everything But The Girl. It was called Turner's Furniture. And their slogan was Everything But The Girl, which I guess is like comparing like women to like fixtures or like household fixtures or something. Oh my God. Um, but they found it like hilarious at mm. the time. And it's gone now. You'll be glad to hear. So they've they come pre-cancelled Turner's Furniture. But I do think we should track down the descendants of the owners and shame them publicly. Mm. It's now the Humber Chamber of Commerce. But um, yeah, Hull's finest and a great couple. Phenomenal shout. Actually, that's uh, really annoying because I have actually for the last month, I keep making a mental note to myself and just being like... I really want to read Tracy Thorne's memoir that came out. She has, I think she has two books, doesn't she? One, she might have more. Yeah, yeah. Bedfit Disco Queen was the first one that got rave reviews mm-hmm. and I actually need to get stuck in as well. She had a more recent one yeah. where she talks about her friendship with Lindy from The Go-Betweens, yeah. um, which again looks fascinating. It's right, right up my street. I just need to get around to it. Yeah, and I was like, God, I'd actually really love to learn about Tracy Thorne because like, like with everything uh, but the girl and obviously like her contributions as well to say like Massive Attack as well. Oh yeah. She's yeah. like the, a figure that is really huge from say my childhood and a voice that's just so ingrained in my memories of that time. But I actually don't know a lot about her and I don't know why I haven't taken the time to do some reading about her. Um, And I actually revisited everything but the girl recently. I was in work and was just blasting this song to the max um, and then Tapley had it on in the house as well recently and it's it's just such an undeniable banger but I also love the um, the fact that they got two separate dinners because um, they're like <laughs> it just makes sense yeah but obviously those royalties are coming in nicely because <laughs> because they're playing delivery for two different places which is very uh very bougie. bougie. Yeah. It was their 40th anniversary, true. Zara. Yeah, true. True, true. 
Um, that's an amazing shout. Fair play, Craig. Um, okay, so my gold medal. Um, yes. I wanted as well a couple that are still together. I wanted a couple that are still alive. Um, I wanted a couple that are still making music. Um, so I had very high standards. Um, so yeah, Adam, take it away. Tell me what you really want instead of Lies from Low. Uh, the couple obviously is the uh, duo of Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker. They've mm. been together for 30 years, which is great. Um, they released an album two months ago, which is phenomenal. Um, this is from their album Ones and Sixes, which came out in 2015. Um, it was produced by BJ Burton, who people will maybe be more familiar with his stuff with Bonnie Vare or Charlie XCX. Um, I just think they're phenomenal. Um, I think the thing that I love about Lo and I love about Alan and Mimi's relationship is just how elusive they are. Um, like, you know that they're going out, you know they're a couple, but you don't know really their dynamic. Like, they talk about... Yeah. They talk about how it, it can be difficult like to be in a band and be on tour together because the stresses of the band stuff can seep into their married life. So that's not great. But outside of that, like, you don't really know too much about how they met, or else I couldn't really find anything about that. I presume it was, like, college or something like that. Um, they've also had, like, a kind of rotation of other musicians who have been in the band with them. Uh, they had Steve Garrington, who actually just officially departed. So it's the first time in Lowe's tenure where they've actually been now officially just a duo of the two of them yeah. which is really interesting and it's working out yeah what is such a great album oh my god really phenomenal and like even like double negative as well which, which is yeah. amazing they just are so good at building really textured worlds with their songs and they do a really nice job as well of working together really well within the songs as well, be it uh, Mimi's drumming and uh, Sparhawk's, Sparhawk's uh, guitar work or even their vocals together are really nice. Um, Ones and Sixes as well is an album that kind of hears Mimi a bit more. She, she took on more singing with their previous album, The Invisible Way, which was produced by Jeff Tweedy. But... Um, yeah, Lies is a song that I've just been absolutely rinsing to bits of the last couple of months. I think it's phenomenal. It's possibly one of my favourite songs now. Uh, definitely one of my favourite low songs. So yeah, that is my gold medal. Gold medal couple. Uh, the hashtag Mormon couple girls, as they would say, Craig. <laughs> yeah, everyone using that hashtag. Um, I like that you picked something that's like, up to date still mm. great material coming out um, it's a good shout and for my number one could only be one or two here's my number one not two
Tom Club with Genius of Love. The couple in question is Chris France and Tina Weymouth. Um, still a couple. Also, they were in a Tom Tom Club offshoot known as Talking Heads. And yeah, <laughs> the couple is kind of like masterful rhythm section. I think they stack up against kind of any really in rock history in my book. They're mm. certainly one of the funkiest, albeit kind of widest around. And Genius of Love was a huge hit for them. And it was really like ironic in a lot of ways that at the time Talking Heads was an ongoing big concern um, David Byrne was kind of losing interest so they just decided to start messing about and I think it like really shows the kind of joy they would take in like jamming, experimenting um, Adrian Bellew as well from Talking Heads um, doing live stuff with them and working in studio as well was also a member and just like it sounds really forward thinking there was some kind of great sampling bits going on it was ahead of its time and it was massive mm. David Byrne wasn't really happy at the time because he's like we haven't had a hit he didn't say anything about it like there's um, Chris France in his, in his new book um, Remain in Love I think he talks about how when they got the news that it had like gone to number one, they were in a taxi with David Byrne mm. and he just like looked out the window mm, and said yeah. nothing, didn't congratulate them. I think he said something like they all went to Studio 54 once, like all the talking heads, which is great. Yeah. I love them just rocking up and Genius of Love was playing as they walked in. And David Byrne just said, like, how did you get that hand clap sound? And that was like the only comment he had about the song so whatsoever. Funny. Um but they had each other and it really seems like throughout Talking Heads it was just like them trying to keep the band together mm. and like trying to cajole David into like I think post fear of music he was kind of done he was you know in love musically with Brian Eno and they got to a point where like he didn't want to meet up with the rest of the band so I think they invited Brian Eno to the studio to jam with them and like casually called David and we were like yeah Brian's here and he like ran over and they made Remain in Light so <laughs> like, they had so to like good. trick him into making albums which is great but um yeah they kind of started the band I think they were trying to get a band formed and like Chris talks about how they needed a front man yeah. and David Byrne was around and it definitely worked out. Yeah. And yeah, they they stuck together. Like Chris France still at least seems hopelessly in love. He does Tina Tuesdays, uh, hashtag Tina Tuesdays on Twitter. Stop he it. just puts up photos of her. <laughs> yeah. He's like a fan like that. He just like, I don't know. Oh, it's, it seems to be working for him. It's a bit much, but um. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> full disclosure. That was the song I had that in my top five. That was my number five. Oh, okay. This has worked out really well. Yeah. So it worked out really well. I took them out um, because, and I had Genius of Love because it's this amazing song. It's so good. Um, but I had to take it out because I read that Chris France book too, and I hated him so much. Yeah, he seems like a bit of a. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah, and like I kind of at times felt really embarrassed for Tina, just like the way he was going on and just the way he would talk about her as well. Sometimes it was like, oh god, like not ideal. But she has a book coming out, I think, soon. So I'm really looking forward to read that. Um, Why I divorced Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Save me. Um, but yeah, amazing shout. Um, such a great band. And the synergy between the two of them in this track in particular is just amazing. So stellar, stellar top number one. Top number one, Craig. That's <laughs> what we're aiming for with our top fives. And that's our top five for this week. And that is the show. This episode of No Encore was engineered 
as always, by the gifted, beatific, brilliant Sonic architect, Adam Shannon. Yeah, he's doing some weird Bowie-esque hand poses Oh my God, he's got the dressing game back on. He's got his smoking jacket on. He is ready to party. The (laughs) night is young. Uh, So we won't keep any more of your time, Sarah. Great having you on. Uh, I listened to your last episode, of course, and it was like every time myself and Dave have a couple of weeks off we have that thing of like the other one listens in and is like oh yeah it's been a while since I was on with Zara so this was fun <laughs> where can people check out your stuff Zara underscore Hederman yeah, on Twitter that's the and one and you write for everyone yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm quite tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah do that do some writing for Loud and Quiet the quietest bits for like Aquarium Drunkard Arena um, oh, I love that Nancy Sinatra piece. Oh, thank you. That was you. so good. That was probably a month or so ago that now. Was right? month, it was a yeah. reissue. It was great. Yeah, and her and Lee. Um, that was a great read. If only they On had arena, been of course. Going out. Yeah, romantically, inv- that would have been perfect. So um, good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, on Arena as well, you're ensconced in like the. Donny Rook thing, right? <laughs> I saw Donnie you on Rook Twitter massive. the other day <laughs> congratulating Marty Whelan on his hush puppies. <laughs> <laughs> they were phenomenal hush puppies. It's such them. style. The man just has no such end. Style. Yeah, he's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> I hope to meet him one day. Um, but oh, thank well, you. That wish yeah. in the air. Yeah. I had so much fun doing this with you, Craig, though. Thank you so much for having me. We will do it again soon. We might do it towards the end of the year. We might talk about end of year releases. Who knows? Who knows? There's a lot coming <laughs> down the pipeline, except for next week, um, because we're going to pause the show. We're just some scheduling stuff. Days back at work. I'm kind of away. We thought we'll, we'll, we will wait and we will get ready for the onslaught that is our Christmas run-in. We have a lot of content coming. So yeah, no regular show next week, but we have no popcorn mm. next week. So you will get your content, Phil. And it's a drive that you're talking about. So I'm very excited about that one. For it's going to be great. We have no Oxcord in the works coming out this month. We will not let you down. Dave will return. No Encore will return. This has been no Encore. There will be no Encore. Craig Fitzpatrick, your host. That was Ara. That was Adam. Peace out. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.